Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And as I was thinking this week about the pressures that we have been under, the stress that we have been under, the fact that many of us have been quarantined and um, many of us are kind of feeling separated from our friends and our family, and kind of as a result of maybe boredom, one of our most natural instincts is to pick up our phone, scroll Facebook, scroll Instagram, scroll the cesspool called Twitter, and just look for something that tickles our fancy. Just look for something that entertains us. Look for something that has a little bit of intrigue to it. Maybe it's a political story. Maybe it's a conspiracy theory. Maybe it's some preacher that I've, you know, that maybe you don't really know, but you follow this preacher online. And so you've clicked on, you know, he's got a little pre, uh, a sermon on why social justice is not biblical. And so you click on that and you listen to that. And we, and my point is, because we're spending more time alone and we've got more time to ourselves, um, we're spending, many of us are spending more time online. And what that does is obviously it's feeding our soul with content. And um, sometimes it's just, honestly, it's bad content. Um, sometimes you don't, um, you know, you're going down rabbit trails and it's, it's feeding your soul in a way that, that's stoking your fears, that's stoking your anxieties, that's maybe even causing you to question the theology of, of our church because, oh, I heard this preacher say this. And, and so it causes you to doubt some things. And all of this is ways, one writer calls this the experience of living in digital Babylon, that all of us are being just um, bombarded with all of this digital information um, all of these different narratives, all of these different news, all of this different theology, all of this just information piled on top of each other, and we just don't have time to sift through it all. And so many of us, what do we do when we don't have time for that? We just kind of outsource that to some quote-unquote expert. Well, the problem is, um, whose expert are you? Ex whose which expert are you exporting that job out to? Because. Um, just like with the information uh, with the pandemic, it just depends on which which epidemiologist you consult. Um, and so which theologian are you consulting? Which pastor are you listening to? Um, which political pundit are you listening to? And what we what we were kind of doing is we outsource our thinking to some quote unquote expert. You could even call this expertism. Just because somebody has a PhD doesn't mean they know anything, honestly. One of my favorite, one of my uh, good friends is a PhD. And um, so I felt always nervous around him when I was preaching the gospel and preaching. And I'd be like, hey man, how am I doing? How am I doing? He's like, dude, you're you're doing really well. And I'm like, well, you're a PhD so in theology. So I always get really nervous. He's like, no, having a PhD means I know a whole lot about one tiny subject. It does not make me an expert on all the other subjects. And my, my friend, uh, Dr. Casey Shutt, if you remember, he had a PhD in work, and it was like Christian theology and work, or how our work relates to the Bible, relates to theology, so a theology of work. 
And he knew a lot about that. Now, he was brilliant in a lot of other ways, but he was a humble man too. And so he's just like, no, I'm an expert in this one thing. And just because somebody is an expert in one, you know, has a PhD, they have, you know, does not mean they're an expert on all things. And so what do we do? Well, we can't know everything about everything. We're finite beings. Uh, we are not God. But we do, we are responsible for um, learning and growing and specifically coming to a thorough understanding of the Word of God. And so I think we need to be pumping the Word of God into our souls now more than ever, and good theology now more than ever. And um, I want to do that. I want to help us do that to the best of my ability. And so we're going we're gonna to do our best to start putting out podcasts at least once a week. Uh, I'm going to have at least two segments going on in the podcast, one working through the Westminster Confession of Faith, just calling that Theology for Everyone. And so you're going to have a, hopefully about a 30-minute podcast just to go deeper into theology. And then you'll have a normal podcast. That what I've been doing is either you know book reviews or specific topics or, or whatever. Um, you guys email me and say, hey, you want to hear so- you want to hear something on this? And I'm going to do my best to do that. So I'm hoping to put out some more information to keep us moving um, in the right direction, to keep us um, on mission here at Sacred City, and to keep us following Jesus in the normal rhythms of life. And so that's what I want to, to do today. It's kind of go back, in a sense, just go back to basics and say, well, Justin, you said this podcast is all about following Jesus in the normal rhythms of life. Yeah, that's what it means to be a disciple. Um, Jesus well, let me just go. Let's go to Matthew 28. We're going to jump into this. We'll go to Matthew 28 here. <clears throat> Jesus is, he's finished his ministry. He's lived the perfect life. He's lived life with his disciples and showed them how to, fo- how to follow God and how to be born again. And then he, Jesus went to the cross and he dies. Um, he dies for them and then he, he rises again three days later. And then he, he is about to be ascended <clears throat> And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus told them to meet me here. Okay? So, first piece we see, Jesus tells you something, you do it. Okay? Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay? I love this verse. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is about obeying him, but it's also about worshiping him. And even some of uh, Jesus' disciples doubted when they saw the resurrected Jesus. So it's not, um, we should never glorify doubting. You know, there's some, there's some people that they're kind of skeptics and they think you should doubt everything. No, no, no. But there's going to be seasons in our life where we're worshiping Jesus, and there's going to be seasons in our life where we're struggling. We're, wa- it's, we're finding it difficult to worship Jesus, and we're doubting. Okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you know from when we've studied the book of Colossians that Jesus is over everything. Um, Jesus is in the control room of the universe. He is deposing kings. He is um, 
conferring kingdoms right now. He gives the kingdoms of men to whomever he wishes. Jesus is an authority over all things. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here's what Jesus does with that authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, first things I want us to see here. A disciple is a person who is increasingly worshiping Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and obeying Jesus in all of life. And I am kind of over using the word believer or Christian. They're, they're, they're biblical words, but so many people get, get the, the end goal of Christianity confused with just believing or just mentally assenting. Yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Um, yes, I'm a Christian. And yet they somehow think they can divorce that from actually following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. I don't think you can believe Jesus and and not follow Jesus. Those two, two things don't uh, they don't line up. You can mentally assent that Jesus died for your sins, but you can't actually trust Jesus and not follow him. Okay, so. The, the mission of the disciples, the mission of the early church, the mission of us as Christians is to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, to worship Jesus, to be changed by Jesus in an increasingly measure day after day, and also to go therefore and make disciples. Now, if, <clears throat> if um, your son or daughter asks you to make him a sandwich, right, that in, there's a process to that. That's if, if um, you're hiring a contractor to, to uh, make you a doghouse or to make you a new house, there's a process that's involved in that. And when Jesus tells the disciples, go and make disciples, he's, he's inferring and implying that they're, they know exactly the process to do that. Make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You take two pieces of bread, you take peanut butter on one side, you take jelly on the other side. You put those bad boys together. You got your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's the process to making the sandwich. Well, what's the process to making a disciple of Jesus? Well, excuse me, Jesus, you know, they wouldn't have to stop and think, oh guys, what's the process? Should we, um, should we start a discipleship class? Is that, is that what we should do? Should we build a building? Like they, Jesus was not telling them to go invent a process to make disciples. He was literally saying, what have I done with you? How have I made you, right? How have I made you into disciples? Go and do that, right? And he's saying, but just don't do it back here in Jerusalem. Just don't do it with your boys and your, and just don't do it in your family. Do it to all nations. So go and make disciples of all people groups. And that's what we're still a part of today. This is the mission of God right here and right right now. God wants to be known. God wants to be worshiped. And we are making disciples. That's what we're doing. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations and here's how you part of the process, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Trinity here. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father has ordained this mission. The Son has accomplished this mission, and the Holy Spirit has empowered us 
for this mission, to make disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So observe, obey. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So how do you treat the poor? Right? What's your relationship like with the poor? Jesus said that when you go, when you have a feast, don't just invite all your uh, all all your socioeconomic peers. Don't just invite all the uh, invite all the rich people, all the people like you, all the people that look like you, dress like you, same skin color as you, same bank account as you. No, no, no. Invite the poor. Jesus says. So, what's your relationship like with the poor? How do you treat the poor? Jesus is saying that's a part. That's a piece of the discipleship. How do you treat? Um, how do you treat the poor? That's part of observing all that I commanded you. How do you treat the marginally outcast? Jesus shows us how he treated the woman at the well. Jesus told us how he treated Samaritans. Jesus showed us all these cultural outsiders. Jesus shows us how we're to, to treat them or to pursue them or to, to love them or to be merciful to them, to gracious to them and share the gospel with them, right? So, and I could go on and on because that's what the whole New Testament is. The whole New Testament is is teaching us to observe everything that Jesus um, Jesus taught, Jesus commanded us. And behold, he's with us to the end of the age. So Jesus is present with us in, um, in mission. Now, as I'm thinking about this, a couple things come to mind. First off, how do we do this? Um, how are we, how is a person come to worship Jesus and increasingly come to worship Jesus more and more and more? How are they being changed by Jesus? How and how are you you're, you're obeying Jesus in all of life? What, what does that actually look like? How do we do that? And one of the things that we say here is, at Sacred City, we say a lot, is the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. The only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. Now, that's we're, we're saying a lot of things when we say that. First off, discipleship is not a solo project. You don't buy a, a discipleship curriculum, go home and sit in your bedroom, read your Bible, pray, and, and now you're a disciple. That may be a piece. There's a, definitely a personal aspect to discipleship. But discipleship isn't a solo project. How did Jesus make disciples? Jesus, you, we see Jesus having almost no one-on-one meetings. Jesus discipled people in groups. Jesus chose his 12, his 12 apostles, right? And he, he literally lived life on life with them. So when we're seeing um, discipleship, discipleship is life on life. Jesus wasn't just, he didn't just write a book and give it to people, right? He didn't just write curriculum and give it to people. No, he walked with them. He lived with them. He ate with them. He celebrated with them. They saw him go to weddings. They saw him go to celebrations. They saw him touch the sick and heal them. They saw him minister to the poor. Jesus lived life on life. So if we want to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples and be a disciple the way Jesus was a disciple, we do that life on life. We have to be in community with people, right? So you have life on life. You have um, a face-to-face encounter with another person, right? You have life in community. You've got this group of, Jesus had 12, and then he had the crowds that were wider, wider than that. And what this community piece um, is, is we need other eyes on us. We very rarely 
self-diagnose um, our own issues. <laughs> we we see our we don't see ourselves clearly. Um, we always give our we so often give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. That's not my heart. That's not what I meant. I'm a good person. And we just have, you know, kind of rose-colored glasses a lot of times when we look at ourselves. Now, there's some of you that are, and some of us that are completely, that's not true. We have um, dark-tinted glasses when we look at ourselves. We, everything is our fault. Um, we are idiots. We're stupid. We can't do anything right. And some of that's coming from our family of origin. And what do we need? We need community to come around us and, and to speak the gospel to us and to share the gospel the grace and the gospel of God to us and speak a better word to us. That's what we need. So here's where we begin to see um, how community and mission lead us deeper into the truths of the gospel. Okay, let me, let me break this down like this. So first off, let me finish the, the mission piece. So the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. The disciples with Jesus, they were on a mission, right? They weren't just hanging out. They weren't just, you know, um, when we say being missional, being missional isn't just hanging out. It's having a mission. It's, I'm doing this to make disciples. I'm doing this to become a certain type of person. I'm doing this to introduce people to Jesus, that people don't know Jesus. So sometimes people just say, oh yeah, I'm being missional because I'm smoking. you're smoking cigars with somebody. Listen, if you're not, you know, if you're not share, eventually going to share the gospel with them, you're not on mission. Now, you might be just building a relationship. That is a step, right? you got to build a relationship, build trust, invest in that person, invest in that relationship, and boom, share the gospel with them. But, so, Jesus was on a mission, right? The disciples were on a mission. They were always headed somewhere. They Very rarely were they just sitting around for months at a time. They were doing ministry. They were headed to this town. They were headed to the next town. They were sharing the gospel of the kingdom. Um... And, and they were discipling one another, right? There was conflict going on, and they had to have conflict conflict resolution. There was the exposure of inappropriate desires. I want to sit at your right hand at your when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus having to correct those desires and says, no, actually, the last shall be first, and the and the the, the servant of all is going to be the greatest of all, right? So, so here's the here's where we get the idea of a missional community. You get these pieces. The only way to make disciples is the way Jesus made disciples, in community and on mission, okay? Now, one of the, the, the reasons behind that is because the way we grow as a Christian, the way we grow as a disciple of Jesus is by going deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel or the gospel going deeper and deeper and deeper into us where we're not just um, having the right content of the gospel in our minds. We're not just assenting to its truths but we're actually believing it and we're actually trusting the gospel for our sanctification, for our justification, for our righteousness before God, for our meaning, identity, value, and worth in a greater and greater way. And as we come to do that, we're going to grow. Now, there's a personal aspect of that. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to be doing these things. But Christianity, for some reason, has gotten like reduced down to just it, what I call pietism, just this all, all God wants for me is to read my Bible, pray, and be a good person. And that is a lame version of Christianity, and it's not the original version. You have been brought in to a kingdom. 
you have been brought into a family. You have to live, you need to live inside this family and relate to this family. And you've been sent on a mission. Every Christian is a missionary or he is an, or he or she is an imposter. And so we need to live in community and on mission if we're going to understand the gospel and come to trust the gospel in a greater way. Now, why is that, Justin? Well, here, uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you. Okay, first off, he's already preached the gospel to them. They've already believed it. They've, they've mentally assented to, to its truths, to its doctrine. <clears throat> but this is what he says. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, past tense, right? I've already done this, which you received, past tense, in which you stand, ooh, present tense, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So do we, we see this past, present future aspects of the gospel. I have preached it to you and you believed it, right? Now you're standing in it, if you haven't believed in vain, and and you will be saved in the future if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. So this, there's this reality of the gospel that it's past, present, and future. It's not just I believed it once and that's it. No, I need to be believing it now. I need to be trusting it now. And I need to be trusting it in the future as well. And, of course, there's content, there's gospel doctrine. He's going to go into that in the next three, in the next several verses where he's talking about, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep." He's talking about the historical reliability of the gospel. The gospel has real content. The gospel is the person and the work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And, and that's historically reliable because there was eyewitness testimony, and you could go to any of these people, over 500 of them, and say, did this really happen? And they'd say yes. Okay. Now, how is that a past, present, future reality? That's a past reality. Jesus lived, died, resurrected. Well, the gospel isn't just the content. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is also a power that's at work in us. And that power is meant to go deeper into us, and we're meant to go deeper into it. Okay? And so, th this is how this looks. This is how Jesus did it um, in his ministry, right? He lived in community with people and on the mission of God with them. Now, let me show you how this reveals our need for the gospel, and pushes us deeper into the gospel. First off, all of us must be confronted with the historical facts of the gospel. Jesus was a man. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He said exactly why he did that. He did that to take our place, to bear the punishment for our sins, to give us grace and mercy and the kindness of the Lord where we only deserve the wrath of God. Jesus took that punishment for us, it was our substitutionary atonement. He, he, he took away the wrath of God. He expiated our sins from us. Jesus did that for us. Now, now we all have to believe that. Step, I mean, step one, mentally assent to it. Believe those facts. That's the gospel. I believe Jesus died for my sins. Boom. 
Okay. But that makes us Christians. We're born again when the Spirit of God comes into us and, and gives us the faith to believe. We're born again when that happens. But now I'm beginning my life of discipleship. And the life of discipleship is meant to go take me deeper into the gospel, help me understand the gospel, help me trust the gospel in a greater, greater way. And the only way I'm going to do that is by living in community with God's people and being on the mission of God. Now let me, and that's the way Jesus did it with the disciples. That's the way the apostle did it. You see that in Acts 2, Acts 4, you know, in the early church. Let me show you why. The types of people that Jesus brought together were at odds with each other. They were tax collectors, which are rich, notorious sinners that kind of took advantage of the poor. And there were poor fishermen that more than likely lived day, day by day, right? Uh, hand to mouth. Jesus brought like the religious and the irreligious together in one community and lived with them. Now, it doesn't take much effort to bring a group of Republicans together or a group of Democrats together or a group of CrossFitters together or a group of football players together or a, a group of middle-class bankers together or a group of upper-middle-class home builders together, right? You see all this affinity there. They're, they're, they're knit together by their affinity. They're knit together by the things that they like. But that's not the kind of community that Jesus brought together. Jesus brought together kind of a ragtag opposites attract type of group and he had a and with one even devil in it judas right and he lived for three years in community with them now what was uniting them obviously was the person of jesus jesus called them and said come follow me and they followed him and jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom where they saw none of their performance in life, none of their accolades, none of their achievements have got them into this group. They're not here because they're white. They're not here because they're middle class. They're not here because they're fishermen. They're not here because they're scholars. They've been brought in simply because Jesus called them by the grace of Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing that's here. And, you know, and we just think of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, right? And so these are the people that God brings together. And so what does it take to stay in a community of people who are not like you? I'm going to say it takes believing the gospel because these people are going to annoy you. You don't agree with their politics. You don't agree with their philosophy on life. You don't agree with their work habits. You don't agree with the way they parent their children. You don't agree with their sexuality, their sexual preferences. You don't agree with all these things. How can I stay in community with somebody I don't agree with and somebody does such things that I look at and say, that is so dumb. Why are those people doing that? They are complete idiots. The only thing that's going to keep me in a community or draw me into a community like that is the gospel of Jesus that unites people who are different, unites them around following Jesus. And I, I honestly think this is why one of the re, this is one of the things that the church has missed. This is why so many churches are so monocultural, is because they don't see the diversity of Jesus and how he pulls all these diff, diversity of diverse people together, and the only, and where you could literally say the only reason we're here right now is because of the gospel. It's not a bunch of golfers hanging out, 
right? It's not a bunch of guys that went to the same college or even went to college, right? We've got we've got people that have got not don't even have a high school degree, and we've got people that have got PhDs in one group living in living in community together. Now, to me, that's a community that demands a gospel explanation, right? natural affinity-based community does not demand a gospel explanation. I can look at that and I can tell you exactly why those people like each other. Oh, wow, they all have Trump shirts on. That's not a that big shocker. They all like to hang out together. But if you show me a group of people that have, you know, that have diff- diverse, diversity of, of uh, political affiliation and they're hanging out, loving each other, staying committed to one another, not leaving because they heard a, a political viewpoint that they found atrocious, not attacking each other, I'm going to say, what's going on there, right? And for the Christian, we're going to say, Jesus brings together sinners. Jesus brings together people that have differing opinions. Jesus brings together people that are broken in different ways. And so the here's, here's the beauty of it. When I join a missional community that's like that, that's different from me, the only thing that's going to keep me in that community is by going deeper into the gospel, by realizing how Jesus pursued me when I was so different from him. I was such a, I was so opposed to him. I was his enemy. I was a, a sinner who didn't want to have anything to do with him. And yet Jesus came near me and pursued me and Jesus brought me together to himself. And then Jesus did that to my African-American brother who grew up in a completely different context and culture than me. And, he, and Jesus brings that guy together. And as Jesus brings that guy together, as Jesus brings that guy to himself and me to himself, he brings us closer to one another. And now we can walk together in community and we can be centered on the gospel. We don't let our political affiliation separate us. We don't let our culture separate us. We don't like let our philosoph- our philosophies, um, you know, our extra biblical philosophies on life and parenting and these different things separate us. We stay together. So by being a part of a diverse community, it's going to force you to either believe the gospel or you're going to run. You're going to leave. When somebody confronts you, maybe on a sin in community, when somebody says, hey, brother, what you're doing right now is not just a diversity of opinion, but actually that's called sin. That's called sin. If you're, if you, um, if you aren't going to believe the gospel, what are you going to do? You're going to run. You're going to run. We had a guy, we had a, a guy do that this, uh, just, just a couple weeks ago. He said something highly offensive to, he's a white middle-class man, said something highly offensive and aggressive and argumentative and, um, provoking to an African-American in our church, did it on Facebook, of course. And um, I stepped in and confronted him on it and called him out on it. And he refused to repent and he left our church. And then a few days later, he repented. But is he coming back to our church? I don't know. It's up to him. But he got confronted in his sin, clear sin. It was a clear sin. It was a foolish act. It was pugnacious and argumentative and provoking. And Galatians tells us not to provoke one another to love one another. And he didn't even have a relationship with this, this uh, guy in our church. And what does he do? He takes his ball and he goes home. He leaves the church. Now, why? Because he's not centered on the gospel. If you're centered on the gospel, you expect to be confronted in your sin. You expect your brothers and sisters to see things that don't line up with Jesus and you have to repent. I mean, Jesus himself had to do it to Peter. Peter says, you're not going to die. I won't let you do it. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
And then Peter, we know he goes on and he betrays Jesus three times. And then we know he goes on and he expects, he, he expresses racial attitudes with Paul. And then Paul, who comes to faith much later than Peter, Paul has to confront Peter to his face in front of the whole church and says what? Your actions are not in step with the truth of the gospel. In community, people should be saying to us, your actions are not in step with the truths of the gospel. Why? Because we're all sinners and we're all going to be saying things to our wives, saying things to our kids, parenting, making decisions in, in, at work, expressing political opinions. We're going to be doing things that we don't have all the information on and we're, we're going to be spouting things off and we may be wrong and we may need others with differing opinions and better understanding of scripture to confront us in that and ask us to repent. And that's not bad. That's another opportunity to believe the gospel, that I am worse than I thought, and I'm more loved than I can ever imagine. I get to go deeper into the gospel. So that's how community. You'll never have a really diverse missional community unless you're going unless everybody's going deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel. And they're finding their identities in the gospel and not in their political identities, not in their racial identities, not in their socioeconomic identities, not in success, failure identities. So <clears throat> the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. Now here's another aspect. Some folks accept the gospel, they believe the gospel, and they step into a community, and their desire really is to create a community of just a bunch of people that believe the same things they do in exactly the same way. And what happens often is that community becomes an insular community. It becomes a community that is about its members. It becomes a community that is about us. And I'll be honest, I can't stand groups like this. Um, they become super boring to me. Um, they just, they, 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 they become about just about meeting each other's needs. Now, part of the, the a community should meet each other's needs, but Jesus's disciples were always about the mission. They're always about going and making disciples and going and preaching the gospel, you know, to the next town and the next town and eventually to, to the nations. And our communities, so our missional communities, should also be on mission. Now that is going, again, going to confront something in me that causes me, again, to go deeper into the gospel. Because there's a certain aspect of me that wants to be comfortable. There's a certain aspect to, to my personality that, okay, we've, we've got 15 people here, that's enough, that's enough. I, I just, I don't have the relational bandwidth for any more. But if I read the scriptures, I come to learn that God has a mission to be known and worshipped. From the calling of Abraham to the completion of it in the book of Revelation, it's all about the glory of God. It's all about drawing worshipers in to worship him. And the way, and what he does is when he draws people in to worship him, he changes, he's the spiritual tornado that sucks people in, changes them into, into worshipers of him, and then he, he blows them out. He sends them out to go make disciples of all nations, to go convert other worshipers, to go and show other people what God is like and what he's done in, in the gospel. And so for the Christian to say, okay, I want to read my Bible and I want to pray and I want to be a holy person and I want to go to community group where I study the Bible, but not to see themselves as a missionary sent to their neighborhood, sent to their workplace, sent to their city, to spread the gospel and to make disciples, 
they're missing a piece of the gospel. They're missing how Jesus, they're, they're forgetting that Jesus was the first missionary that came for them, right? He left heaven and came to this earth and put on flesh and lived a human life to come and get us, to rescue us. He didn't just come to the to the people that would receive him. He didn't just come and create a little clique of people, but he, he created this missionary movement. He created these missionaries and he sent them out. And so if you come to Jesus, you're also sent by Jesus. And so our communities should be missional. They should be on mission. We as individuals should be missionary to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the go- folks at our gym. We should be praying for people by name. <clears throat> And we should be taking that impulse into our missional communities and our missional communities themselves should be on mission. <clears throat> now, how does that force me into the gospel? Some of us are missionally gifted, missionally minded, and we love sharing the gospel with outsiders and unbelievers. And so <clears throat> we're just gifted at it. But other of us, some of us aren't. And so I personally enjoy sharing the gospel with unbelievers. That's why I'm on mission at my jujitsu studio. That's why I've been on mission at at the gym. I love that aspect. But still, there's a corporate mission that I don't always get stoked about. Like my missional community, we're on mission to um, the Brick House in Davenport, and we serve an underprivileged community, and we serve meals for kids and their parents, and we develop a relationship with them. Um, But it's it's on Friday night. And usually um, I've had a long week, I'm tired, and I look and, oh, it's mission night. And I'm tired, and I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Now, in that moment, what's it, what is it? That is a moment for me to believe the gospel. That is a moment for me to remember that I am not a part of this thing based on my own comfort. I'm not, this isn't just some good, this good deed that I do every, once every month. No, <clears throat> this, I need to think about what Jesus has done for me and how he's brought me in to his family, and how he sent me out on his mission, that Jesus did that for me, and that forces me to confront my own consumerism, my own individualism, my own, you know, I, I'm just kind of here for me, and I just, oh, I'm, not, I'm just tired, and so I don't feel like being on mission right now, and somebody else will make disciples of that people group, somebody else will do that. <clears throat> and so it confronts my sin. It confronts my selfishness. And it, again, it's another moment for me to remember the gospel and see what Jesus has did for me. And here's the deal. The person who is intimately aware of what Jesus has done for them is the best missionary. They're moved not by guilt. They're not motivated by guilt or shame. Or, oh, if I don't go tonight, what are people going to say about me? I need to be a good leader and a good example. No, they're motivated that Jesus left heaven to come and save me. I can leave my house and go spend a couple hours, you know, having uncomfortable, awkward conversations and hanging out with kids. That's the least that I could do, right? So it changes my motivation. It kind of puts steel in my spine. It gets my feet out the doors. It reminds me of the gospel. It causes me to worship Jesus in a greater way. And it pushes me out on mission. So there's more opportunity. I'm going to go there and and I'm going to hopefully share the gospel. I'm going to get to... um, be around people who are poorer than I am. And Jesus has told me to eat meals with them. And so I get to, I get to observe some of the things that he commanded in that way. And so I want you to see here how <clears throat> when we say the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission, that's not just some slogan at our church. 
We believe that that is the way Jesus made disciples, and that is the only way to make gospel-centered disciples, right? That's the only way, because that's the way Jesus displayed for us, and that causes us, both of those pieces are so important that they literally cause us to go deeper into the gospel. We're either going to choose, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home and I'm going to bail on community, or we're going to believe the gospel and stay in that community and fight for unity and fight for diversity in the midst of, you know, all of the the chaos of our of our society. We're going to say, nope, the gospel is going to hold us together. And then missionally, we're not just going to be an insular group. We're going to be a group that's open, that's welcoming. We're not going to have insular language and speak about us versus them. We're not going to talk like everybody in this group is conservative or everybody in this group is Republican or everybody in this group is Democrat or everybody in this group, you know, we're not going to talk about conspiracy theories and weird stuff like that and assume that everybody knows what's going on. We're going to talk about the gospel. The gospel is going to be the main thing because when an unbeliever shows up, when an outsider shows up to our missional community, we want them to hear the gospel, right? We want it to be a missional environment where people are coming to, to, to know Jesus. They're not just coming to embrace a certain political worldview or, or whatever. And so the gospel drives us into community and keeps us there. And the, drive, and, the, and the gospel drives us out into the world to share the gospel, to share our faith, to have dinner with outsiders, to have people over to our house that aren't like us. And that's how the gospel sends us out on mission. And then hopefully those people come into our community and change our community, right? And we're even a more diverse community and we can all be disciples. What is a disciple? A person who is increasingly worshiping Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and obeying Jesus in all of life. So I would ask you, what part, let me, let me give you three aspects there of discipleship. We have life on life, okay? We have life in community, and we have life on mission. Out of those three aspects, what are you best at and what is lacking? Um, life on life, maybe you're amazing um, just being in relationship with people. Maybe you're really good. Even your, your, your own personal devotion to the Lord, your Bible reading, your praying, and then you can come along one side, one person, and you can do that. Life on life, right? Um, is it life in community? Life in community you're just really good in a missional community setting. You love living in community. You're seeing a lot of different people all throughout the week from your missional community. You're serving one another. You're making meals for one another. You're caring for one another. Or is it life on mission? Living as a missionary to, to your neighbors, to our city, to our culture, and being on mission with your missional community and some people in place in our city. I think usually, I think all of us are probably pretty, you know, we might, we're going to find ourselves being pretty good at one and probably pretty bad at another. And I think we need to be vocal about that. We need people to confront us on that. We need to say, hey, why have you never, why don't you ever show up to our mission night, right? We need our brothers and sisters to, if we're following Jesus, we need that confrontation, right? Or, um, hey man, why are you never bringing meals to the community? Or why do you miss all the time on community? So that's, that's kind of, uh, the thought I wanted to share with you today. And I, I, ask, I want you just ask the Lord to reveal what you're good at to you and what you suck at, honestly, so you can grow in it. And ask your fight club to speak into it. Ask your missional community to speak into it. Because I, this, is, this is the vision of our church. This is what I want our missional communities to be like and to feel like, right? 
these little missional communities that are centered on the gospel that people are getting saved in, that people are being discipled in, and people are being sent out to plant more missional communities to reach more people group in our city. So um, hopefully this, this was helpful for you guys. If you've got any questions, email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I will see you on Sunday. God bless.